what's really important is being able to have the design brain and the UX brain to be able to say like, no matter what project I'm given, this is how I would handle it. This is how I would think through the problem. This is how I would iterate. And this is how I would end up with the design that I would end up with, which doesn't necessarily change with experience in the industry. This is Writers in Tech, a podcast where today's top content strategists, UX writers, and content designers share their well-kept industry secrets. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Writers in Tech, a podcast brought to you by the UX Writing Hub. And I want to welcome today Janine Zeng, UX designer at Levi Strauss and Co. Janine, how are you? I'm great. Actually, a quick update. There's an asterisk next to that because I'm actually between jobs right now. So I have left Levi's, but I'm about to start doing UX design at a solar panel installation company. So yes, a little bit of a just like caveat there. <laughs> Amazing. It's been a while since our last update. So that's what happened. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Are you excited about the change? I'm very excited. I studied environmental science in undergrad. So I've been looking for an opportunity to kind of put my professional skills and UX design skill sets towards my personal passion, which is in green energy. So I'm really excited to be able to merge the two in a career and job. And I feel really lucky that, you know, one, I have a job in tech right now. And, and two, it's something that I feel really passionately about and that I, yeah, I'd really love to do and a cause that I really care about. It's like the dream. How did you manage to steer the, your career in a way that you will end up uh, working in a company that you feel passionate about? There are to have many people in our audience that yeah. work in different companies and it's kind of challenging. It's ri- I mean, again, I feel so blessed. I know that it's not the case that, you know, all of those kind of priorities line up in a career. But yeah, I feel really lucky in that. Levi's was a great place to work. I don't have any anything bad to say about that company. It was more so just me wanting to work in a more directly impacting climate solution. So I kind of just went back into the job market and was like, I feel like I have the energy and the headspace and the time to do this right now. And luckily, it, it ended up working out at a green energy company. So, yeah. That's awesome. And tell me a little bit about your background and how did you get into UX mm-hmm. in the first place? Mm-hmm. In the UX design space, most of our audience are UX writers, people that also are curious about doing their careers in general. Yeah, I think in a lot of, probably a lot of people that you've talked to, it's a very circuitous route. There's not really any direct path to UX as of now at least, it's a very new field. So for me, I actually didn't even know about UX until more than halfway through my undergrad experience. And up until that point, I thought that I had to do either something that was really qualitative or something that was really quantitative. I had been at a research lab actually doing like scientific research because biology is another passion of mine. Again, I come from a pretty like scientific oriented background. My parents are both scientists. And so I just thought that for me, it was either, oh, I can be, I can number crunch and 
and do research or I can do art. Those are kind of the two sides of my brain that I loved was like the creative and the kind of more numerical, logical side. And then it wasn't until I found out about UX that I realized, oh my goodness, you can merge the two. The two can exist in one job and they the two sides complement one another in the qualitative and quantitative. And that's what I love so much about UX. And so as soon as I heard about it, I thought like, this is it. This is what I want to do. This will allow me to be artistic and creative in, in the output, but also informed by research and by the quantitative. So yeah, when I heard about it, I kind of just jumped right in and, you know, I was like, I don't know anything about this field, but I had talked to a couple mentors that I had found through mutual connections and just created a portfolio that was based on all fake projects. But, you know, they're all constant. They were all concept projects. I didn't have any experience at that point and got an internship at Levi's and then had been working in UX there ever since. That is fascinating. And you know what caught my attention the most was the fact that you didn't have any real projects in your portfolio, but you managed to land a UX writing job anyway. Mm-hmm. So this is something that, you know, it's the chicken and the egg kind of dilemma. Mm-hmm. How can I have a real project if I don't have experience, but I, can I, how could I have experience if nobody let me do a real project? Absolutely. Yeah. So and what's your And I think... Yeah, and I like I like I said earlier, it's it is such a difficult thing right now because I think a lot of people don't know about UX, don't know it exists. I think because it's a unique field, I at least still value concepts as much as real projects. Like at the beef and bulk of it all, it's just your design thinking. As long as you can demonstrate your design process and thinking in some way, what's really important is being able to have the design brain and the UX brain to be able to say like, no matter what project I'm given, this is how I would handle it. This is how I would think through the problem. This is how I would iterate. And this is how I would end up with the design that I would end up with, which doesn't necessarily change with experience in the industry. I think that's something that is just like you can have an inclination and, and a talent in a brain for and can display regardless of practice. And then of course, with practice, you get better. But being able to just like have that as a base is the most important thing. And you can do that without having worked for any company. My question to you would be how, what would be your tips for people mm-hmm. that are in this position right now? They don't have real experience, but they still want to apply. They're about to set up a case study in the portfolio so what tips would you give to them yeah today i would just say start looking start experiencing different apps different just websites any kind of media you can ingest and experience and digital experiences that you can go through that is the best way to start thinking about how you would approach design of those things and then the more you look the more you start to say oh this works this doesn't work this is why and i think for those concept projects it's really helpful to keep 
know of and tab of the things that don't work. And then if there's enough of a, a case behind it, what would you do to redesign it? And then when you kind of think about the why doesn't it work, that's when you can bullet point through the things that don't work, why they don't work, and then how you would redesign them. Can you give me an example? Yeah, and I'll give you an example of something I did in a concept project. And this actually didn't even come from an existing app, but it was a problem that I saw in the world that a digital that a technology could fill. And it was this, I was on campus at the time. And so there was this whole trope that, you know, people would always say, acquaintances, friends, classmates would always say, oh, well, let's catch a meal. Let's catch a meal. And no one would ever like follow up on it. And I get it. College students are busy, but I wanted to create an easy and seamless way for us to actually follow up on that and get a meal and connect. And so my concept was an app that would plug into an existing calendar API, maybe Gmail, Gcal, whatever you use, and stake the two calendars and then be able to kind of like display the free blocks and free times and allow you to, within a click of a button, like schedule that meal time and actually catch a meal with that person. And so, yeah, it, it was something that I... A problem I had noticed in the real world that I thought this would be an interesting kind of gap to fill and like how can I imagine some sort of technological solution for a problem that exists in real life between two real actors. Like it's almost like saying to someone we should have a lunch one day is something that you just say because it would never happen and you find like you you found like a technical solution to actually solve it well now i'm like well maybe it wasn't actually a problem and people didn't want to get a meal together but for those who actually were intending on following up on that yeah i i would hope that something like this would help them do that make it easier to do that and first of all, when I say to people, we should grab a lunch, and you really mean it. So I think, like, yeah, yeah, it doesn't make sense. So tell me more about the solution. And you know, it's even more than that. Tell me, like, if you were doing this project today, what would you focus on? Yeah. That's a great question. You know, I haven't thought about this project. This project is honestly <laughs> like archive depths of my mind. If I were to redo this project, I think so. At the time, it was linked through email. I think now, definitely being able to link through, I think like phone number and contact your contact, your phone contact list is the most valuable place to start if you're on mobile. So, would change that i'm not sure what else i would really change about that i think that with i think that to your question it would be it would necessitate user research like i would have to actually just go back to campus and try it out with you know existing students and say like how can we improve this what would make it better because i'm so far out i would no longer be and as a designer like i should never be the point i should never be I mean, I am a user, but I 
shouldn't be testing <laughs> on myself. So yeah, I think the things that I would improve would depend on the feedback that I would get from users. I love this method. So basically what you're saying here, and this is something we should something we should focus on. You're saying <laughs> if I would do anything differently today when building a new project or the same project just today with the knowledge that I have, I would do more research or I would start with research and I would understand exactly what are mm-hmm. the needs today before mm-hmm. jumping into the solution. Totally. Which I think is brilliant because yeah. it's still not common today for companies that research is that valuable and important. I just had a call with the clown the other day, which was basically yesterday. Mm-hmm. They said, hey, so yeah, we're going to jump right in. We're going to take three or four hours to do research. And then uh, we will do that, and then we will do that, and the whole project will probably will take between 12 to 15 hours. And then she was like, listen, you don't have to do any research. We did all of the research already. You don't need to do research at all. And no, 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 no. No. <laughs> I can't agree more. I am like borderline, as a designer, I am borderline obsessed with research. I definitely start out every project with trying to get my hands on as much existing research as I can, but then also trying to conduct as much research throughout the project as I can, because what else is informing your designs or telling you that you're going in the right direction towards the solution, if not real-time feedback from users. And again, I think coming from a more scientific background, like I really, really, really value those data points and being able to point to user feedback and research and data to be able to make design decisions. Like design decisions should not just be aesthetic. They really need to be grounded in what what works and what makes sense for the user experience. Interesting. So what will be your best practices for user research as a designer? So you said talking to people at campus, like because that was a projects back in campus, but what would be your uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. your your methodologies? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Your go-to methodology. I can speak to what I've been able to do in industry. So again, first step, I always like to just source what exists. If there is existing research and documentation on a topic or a feature or a project, like it's really important to go to that first and see what we have. And then from there, if if I feel like there are still gaps and questions that I have in the problem space and I don't feel like we've yet been able to use the existing research to define the problem, then that's where I start to think about, okay, what can I do to supplement the existing research? How can I research, find the data that I need to around the things that are missing I think it's also really important to have a mix of qualitative and quantitative data. So whether that's through analytics dashboards for the quantitative or, you know, more of like our user testing research that we get and like direct quotes from users or CSAT is another way of looking at qualitative feedback. I think all of that paints a picture of what I would need to know before delving into a project. 
And then after I start designing again is where I think like the real time user feedback is really important and just being able to have eyes on and feedback on what I'm designing to be able to ensure that it's basically just like a gut check of you're heading in the right direction or, you know, this is not working. I, <laughs> this is not usable. And for a design point of view, we have a lot of UX writers in our audience, people that write digital interfaces, mm -hmm. people that are in charge of the content of the app. Do you have any best practices around communicating your screens, like the content of your screens? Mm -hmm. Or you worked with a writer yourself and you have like the best practices to create better UX writing in your content? Yeah, I've actually, I've only worked with one UX writer in my time. And I think from, so we are actually expected to do a lot, if not all of the UX writing ourselves. I think one point that I really find crucial is that the UX writing and content should be complementary and complementary to the experience. It all needs to be basically a baked in content cake like there should not be any part ingredient of the content as a whole that could stick out and is kind of like not in that doesn't make sense as a whole with the rest of the content ingredients or what you're seeing on the screen what you're experiencing for me i think less is more i really 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 believe that if if the user experience is designed well, that it will necessitate few words. Like I think that like copy, the copy and the experience to complement each other in a way where you shouldn't have to explain or, you know, be verbose with words on the screen. It should really just be baked into the experience. And of course there will be copy and there will be writing. But just making sure that that writing is every word counts. Every word counts. I love that. And I wanted to also talk with you about a small elephant in this room, which is the fact that I knew you and I didn't know about words <laughs> until I watched the TV show Survivor, season <laughs> number 43. And I've seen your. I've seen you over there, Persona. It was actually quite a fantastic season, in my opinion. Oh my God, thank you. And I noticed that in your title, you are a UX designer. And I thought to myself, it would be a brilliant idea to bring you to the podcast <laughs> as a guest and to get to know you in person. Yeah, thank you so much for reaching out. And honestly, the response has been, I wasn't expecting it, but I've had a lot of UX designers and writers honestly reach out and say, hey, it's really cool to see you represent us on this show. I don't think there's ever been, I didn't know that there has ever been a UX designer before on the show. So, you know, to see people respond so positively and be excited about having someone in their same career path on the show was like, oh, okay, I, I guess I am. <laughs> representing UX, the UX industry right now. Definitely. Like, seeing that on TV was like, oh, okay, so finally we, like, it's 
more people would know about this field thanks to you so that was pretty yeah. and i think i'm lucky in that well i live in definitely a tech bubble i live in san francisco so i'm used to everyone knowing what i mean when i say oh i'm a ux designer but i think being on the show and just being around you know people from all walks of life and all over the country and being able to explain to them what ux is was really cool because a lot of them had actually never even heard of ux before Do you feel like um, being in this show had some kind of, like, gave you some kind of insights or helped you somehow in your career path? You know, I think that, again, going back to the, I live in a bubble, I, I, I live in a place where I think a lot of the people, a lot of people I surround myself with here have similar interests, come from similar places and backgrounds. I think The main thing from my experience on Survivor was showing me that, you know, there are people that are so different from me and they could not have more different like life experiences and backgrounds and they're not that far from me either. Like, I think that it really just goes to remind me that when I'm designing, Like these are, I'm not just designing for myself or the people that are directly around me. Like I'm designing for users from all different backgrounds. I think it's really humbling. I think it's also allows me to become and be a better designer when I understand how different people are and how different their needs might be, not even from an accessibility standpoint, but honestly, just from like a person to person, individual standpoint. Um, this is amazing like being in this show or this kind of experience give you more ideas about the diversity of people <laughs> outside of one <laughs> Francisco yeah you know I also think like uh, this is something you could achieve like like people that listening you could achieve by traveling <laughs> you know Okay. Going to places, meeting with people, understanding in different countries, they want to read states, like understanding what people motives are. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's a great insight for uh, for you. And it's also something that I, I've been able to do through, we're lucky in that we have, I, I've been able to conduct my own user testing and like see how my features and be interacted with users based on like things that we screen for and filter by and have users, you know, testing across users of very various backgrounds. And so in that way, I feel like I have been able to interface with users. But again, that's only one direction. That's only like m- my viewing their experience and something like Survivor or an in-person interaction like you're describing in person in traveling, like that's two-directional that's like reciprocal so I think that's what I really appreciated was like it's not just me observing it's me observing being able to interface with ask questions have a fluid back and forth in conversation that is more informative than like just watching or just throwing questions and then like taking in the questions afterwards that's awesome what type of resource and 
content professional or even non-professional content, would you recommend someone that is currently working? So want to get to work on you, you recommend like any books or podcast or resources that you're consuming on relatively and daily, weekly, monthly basis? Yeah, I think I can recommend a couple. One of my favorite podcasts is Time Sensitive. It's more interdisciplinary. It's not like full UX design or writing, but it's all about kind of design at a whole and how like our conception of time relates to that. I think in general, going off this point, like my main advice for content is to like think about design beyond just apps or websites and thinking about you know the design of everyday things like it's important it's more and more it's becoming increasingly important to understand how physical things and physical design impacts digital design as we start to like bleed more into the territory where those two are merging so I think it's just really important to like think about design of anything and not just digital things how do you think it will well do you think it will meet us in the future yeah, the reason i'm asking is because i saw that this israeli company that they get was launching this ar laptop device that you put like special glasses on mm-hmm. and they give you this small keyboard basically it's a projection of all of your screens mm-hmm. there's some feedback of people and reviews it sounds like it's actually working really well and i was just thinking like what are going to be the challenges of the UX in that space. So what kind of digital, non-digital challenges do you think we would have as UX people in the future? I definitely think virtual reality is going to be a huge thing in our future. I think wearable tech can also be somewhere that we see that is rising. I think in any kind of like any sense where we can and start to make our everyday objects like smarter and more usable that's kind of where i see the merger happening so even like appliances or you know home yeah home office supplies like becoming smarter i don't know just anything that we're using now that could be more technology more technologically advanced like doesn't have to be as crazy as your staplers spitting out a 3d projection but you know maybe it's a it's a an automated stapler that i don't know understands every day at noon laura at reception needs to staple 50 packets at once you know whatever it is like i think the micro interactions being smarter is where I see a lot of the merger of those two things happening. Sounds really cool to be honest. I feel like well, when we will have, live in a world where we have a data-driven stapler, that's... <laughs> at that point, yeah, that's it's, like, it's all over. We can stop designing. That's, <laughs> that's what we've been existing on this earth for. <laughs> Yeah, and it will be connected to like AI, so it's also going to like attack us at some point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'll eventually contact all other staplers in the universe and come mm. for us. Honestly, that that's a terrifying thought. The staplers see the love. That's yeah. definitely sounds horrifying. Oh god.
Denim, it was amazing to have you in our podcast, Writers in Tech. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. And again, it was, I it, honestly, it made my year to look in my LinkedIn inbox and, and see that you had reached out based on Survivor. It's like my two favorite things, UX and Survivor, bringing me to, you know, more connections and, and more people. And yeah, I'm so grateful that we were able to speak today. So in, in that case, we also need to thank my wife. Or making yes. it like and yes. survival getting yes we do all right so thank you so much thank you everyone for listening to another episode of writers in tech my name is Ibar Kestecher I'm the founder of the UX running hub check our website we have a lot of free resources for UX writers such as the free UX writing course a weekly newsletter podcast writers in tech blog post and a lot more fun stuff check it out and thank you Janine And see you next Thank time. Thank you. Bye.